Thank you, Frankie. Good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. Um, I don't know why you came, and but I'm certainly glad you did. Uh, If this is your first time, welcome to the mind. This is a sort of an expositional study through God's Word. We're in the book of Acts right now, and we do this more dialogical, more than uh, me just uh, telling you what I think is in the book of Acts. And I and and the reason I say that is because tonight I appreciate that fact because. I was thinking about this on the way over. I'm glad that I came here tonight because I want a dialogue about this book. There's so much in this particular chapter that I'm interested in your thoughts. And so when you have a thought or a question or a comment, just raise your hand and we'll either get a mic to you. If you're close enough, you can just shout out your thoughts. Um, And it's one of the few places that I know of where we can just do that together. The safety net, I guess, in saying that is... There's some assumptions here, and that is we don't all have to agree on everything, but I think we're all here because we want to learn more about God. And so wherever you're at in that journey, we have the same book in front of us, and we can open it together and really learn together with the Holy Spirit as our teacher. I say that because tonight's a fascinating night in God's Word. So much action is taking place, and sometimes when we read it, we, we don't know what to make of it, really. Um, you may have heard we, uh, me say in the past, the book of Acts is really what we call a transition book. In fact, specifically, it's really the book of the Acts of Peter and Paul, the apostles. And it's the birth, as Frankie mentioned, as David mentioned up here, it really is the birth of the new church. And because of that, some things we read about and some things we'll read about tonight are what we would call prescriptive and some things are descriptive. Do you you understand the difference if if you've been in those terms as of late, what prescriptive versus descriptive? Can anyone help us out here? What what do I mean when when I say things are descriptive? Just shout out what you think that means. Yeah, right here. Good. Excellent. I'll take that. Okay. Bonus question then. What's prescriptive? I love the fact that you tried though. That was great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Let's let's help them out here. What descriptive? So let's think of it this way. Um, your son gets sick, your daughter gets sick, and you go to the doctor, they fill out a script, and you take the script to, to Walgreens or CVS, and they fill it out, and you go to pick it up, and there's a bottle there, okay? What would be descriptive about the bottle? Good. What's in it, color, size, etc. What's prescriptive? Uh, not necessarily what to put in it, but... Yeah, what do I do with this? It's the prescription. Here are 50 oxycodones. Don't take them all at once. Okay? I'm describing you what's in the pill box or pill little container. Here's what you're to do with them. And the reason I bring that distinction up tonight, guys, is because sometimes I think when we read God's word, we land on one of two sides. Either I'm reading something that's descriptive. Here's what the word is telling me about a situation, a place, a person. 
Or I read it as prescriptive. Meaning what? Here's what I'm to do. So while, uh, as we go through the, the chapter 19 tonight, I really want us to, to land, and, and I'm not necessarily going to coach us all the way through, and maybe this is just a point of conviction for yourself. Ask yourself tonight, God, what's descriptive tonight, and what's prescriptive tonight? If it's descriptive, good information, I'll see what I can get out of the, the, the principle of what's being described. But if it's prescriptive, then, then I'm going to do what it tells me to do. Um, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go into all the world, baptizing them, making disciples of all the nations. Descriptive or prescriptive? Seems to be prescriptive, right? Jesus is the, 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 the near context there would be Jesus talking to the disciples, uh, the 12 plus 120 or however many were there. But the, the prescription for that would be the application to all believers, go and do that. He repeats that in Acts 1.8. Okay, I say that because open your Bibles to Acts 19, we see some fascinating things right off the bat and we need to decide, God, is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Why is that a big deal, Greg? Think about how many denominations we have today. In fact, if I were to take just a quick poll tonight and what denominations have you been or are you affiliated with? Even in this size of a crowd, I'll bet we would top 30, you think? 30 different denominations, specific denominations. Within the Baptist denomination, because you could say, well, I'm Baptist, well, I'm Baptist too. But within that umbrella, you've got Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist, you've got American Baptist, Conservative Baptist. You've got um, Assemblies of God, but then you've got Pentecostals. Um, you have... Lutherans, but then you have what? Missouri Synod, you've got Wisconsin Synod, you've got um, Methodists, right? You've got United Methodists, American Methodists. I mean, we could go probably around the room and come up with at least 20 or 30 different denominations. How did those all denominations get started? Where'd they all come from? What, why? We, we're all, we're, I would think, you go to, to Gethsemane, you go to First Baptist, you go to United Methodist on a Sunday. Guess what they're going to open up at some point? The Bible. And depending on what version, they're going to open up the Word of God, the same Word of God you have. So why the difference? Where's the difference? And the difference comes, guys, mostly in part of how we read the text. And do we see the text as descriptive or prescriptive? And all of a sudden, when a small group of people say, you know what, that's prescriptive. That's for us today. And then this group of people says, no, it's kind of descriptive. I don't think it's for us today. Now we've got a difference of opinion. And now we have splits and break-offs and various denominations being started. Look back on the history of denominations. You'll be very surprised at how many started from factions or splits or disagreements from another group of Christians. Now... Personally, I don't think that's a bad thing. I've argued multiple times with people not in the faith that one of their challenges with Christianity is why are there so many different denominations? You guys can't get your act together. The beauty of different denominations is a lot of the things we disagree on are minor issues. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, 
major doctrines versus minor doctrines, but a lot of the things we disagree with are minor doctrinal issues. In other words, they're not salvific in nature by way of, I need to know this or else I'm not a believer in Jesus. The authority of Scripture, Methodists, Pentecostals, Baptists, Lutherans, we all agree on that. How to baptize someone, well, there's a difference of opinion. Um, we all believe that we have gifts given to us from the Holy Spirit. Which ones we use today? Well, now we've got a difference of opinion. Um, we all agree that prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. How we pray? Well, now we've got a difference of opinion. And so as we open up Acts chapter 19, what we find here is Paul in the middle of his third journey, his third missionary journey. And it says in, in 19.1, and it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper co county or country, came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples there. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, verse 2, no. We have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That's crazy that he finds some disciples and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And he says, they said, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And I love how Acts 19 starts because it gets us back into the mood of the first century, guys. See, the first century wasn't, oh, look, I show up at Ephesus and someone hands me an NIV. Oh, look, I, I show up at Corinth and someone, you know, gives me a King James version. But rather, these were pockets of believers now, just newly formed churches getting started and doing the best they can with what they had. And so he runs across these, this group of men in Ephesus and says, did you read the Holy Spirit? And they're like, beep, 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 back it up, Paul. We don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And you and I think, man, how could you not know what the Holy Spirit is? We'll get back into the first century and recognize that when Jesus was hanging on a cross, guys, in AD 33, when he was hanging on a cross, do you realize that five miles away people were in the market doing business? Do you realize that people were 30 miles away fishing? Our Savior's hanging on the cross, and on Easter we'll celebrate that, and that's such a great thing. But sometimes I think when we see the movie and see the Jesus film and see the passion, and like the world just stopped because Jesus died that day. And yes, we know that the veil was torn and there was an earthquake and, and I get all of that. But life went on, right? People still lived after that. Even that day, that very day, business became somewhat business as usual again. Even after three days and he rose again. Not everyone knew who Jesus Christ was. Jesus of Nazareth. If I lived 700 miles away, you can imagine how long that information would take to get to me. And so this is really the book of Acts in a nutshell. God getting that message out through the means and why God chose the first century and why he chose that particular area. That's completely his will and his desire. He could have started Christianity nowadays where information is just traveling all over the place. But he chose to start it. Where you had to walk to get somewhere or go by donkey or horse or camel. So Paul shows up to these guys and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, well, I don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. So look at verse 3. 
And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. Now, what John are they talking about, do you think? John the Baptist. Now, go back into your kind of memory banks here and revisit who John the Baptist is. Why was John baptizing in Matthew 3? What was he doing? What was his purpose? Why was John doing baptisms? The best that you can recall, what was, what was the point of John baptizing people? Because he baptized these guys. And they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. So what was the point? Do you remember what, what John was doing? What his message was when Jesus shows up on the scene? John's message was a message of repentance. John was the forerunner. John was the guy who st- stood in the Jordan and just baptized people for re- the repentance of their sins. But he was very clear. Listen, this is not about me. This is about who is to come. Someone that I am so unworthy I can't even tie his sandals. And But that's all these guys knew. They got baptized by John's baptism. They were his disciples, if you will, his followers. And Paul shows up then, obviously many years later, and says, who are you guys? Well, we're disciples. Disciples of who? Disciples of John. Why? Because he baptized us. Look at verse 4. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting to note when we, when we look at this issue of baptism, as far as I can tell, and maybe you can find more passages that, that I haven't found yet, this is the only place where someone's actually been rebaptized. Everyone else who John baptized, I, I, don't, I can't find where they've been rebaptized. But for some reason, Paul takes these guys, and I think I have an inkling as to why he did that, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now watch this. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and they were all in about 12 men. So Paul shows up to Ephesus, finds a dozen guys. Hey, what's up? And they say, I don't know what's up with you. And he says, well, what's your deal? And they say, but I don't know. We're, We're disciples, I guess. And he says, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? We don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. Well, okay, well, were you ever baptized? Yeah, we were baptized by John's baptism. A lot of people were. John's baptism for repentance. And Paul says, okay, John baptized for repentance for who is to come. And I'm the messenger of who is to come. And his name is Jesus Christ. Didn't know that. Okay. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe think of these guys as, as we would like Old Testament saints. Um... I know enough to know I should probably know more. But all I know is what I know, and so I'm doing the best I can with the information I have. New information shows up. Okay, I get it. I'm in. Boom. Baptize me now in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. Then Paul says, here comes the Holy Spirit. Boom. They get the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, speaking in tongues and prophesying, there were about a dozen guys that did that. Now, here's my question tonight as we start. Descriptive or prescriptive? And guys, this is where denominations start. <laughs> because I'll probably, I'll probably get half of you saying descriptive and maybe some of you saying prescriptive. 
And all of a sudden now, if I'm prescriptive, I like prescriptive people a whole lot more. <laughs> You're prescriptive too? Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, these descriptive people, they're so formal and they have no idea what it means to be free in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying. Yes. Completely descriptive. That doesn't happen today. These people over here, prescript, they don't know what they're talking about. That doesn't happen. And now we have this. And so guys, honestly, I really don't care what, what you leave with tonight by way of is it prescriptive or descriptive. Take a position. And my encouragement would be be consistent with that. I just want to let you know, this is how things get started. Because it seems like it's pretty clear. This is how we get the Holy Spirit. How? What's the vehicle used to get the Holy Spirit here? Laying on of hands. Now, turn on some religious channel today. What's happening? Line them up right here. Boom! Boom! And then what do you hear? Acts chapter 19. And when they heard this, they were baptized. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Can I get an amen? And then he began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And all of a sudden now, what is everyone thinking? Well, it's in God's word. It must be true. Line them up. Prescriptive or descriptive? And guys, this is why I'm so proud of you guys for showing up tonight. Because I think for a lot of us, we've read God's word. And at the end of the day, can we be honest? God, I'm confused right now. Why are you confused, Greg? Let's stay in the book of Acts. Um, Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And let's look at verse, uh, let's see, how about we go to Acts chapter 8 and let's go to verse 12. Acts chapter 8 verse 12, but they, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike, and even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And he observed the signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply, they had simply been baptized in the Lord Jesus. Now watch this, verse 17. And they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now what's missing from this particular text? What does it say they were or were not doing? Prophesying and or speaking in tongues. Interesting. Go to Acts chapter 10, two chapters over. And go to... Uh, Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and let's go to 43. Peter speaking, it was Peter's sermon to Cornelius and Peter says, Of him and all of the prophets bear witness that through his name, Jesus' name, everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. 
Now that's interesting. How did these people get the Holy Spirit? How did how'd these people get him? He fell on them. Nobody laid hands on these people. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Now listen to this. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now listen to this. For they were speaking, they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So in one passage, we have someone laying hands on someone, and the result of that was Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, prophesying. In another passage, we have nobody laying hands on them. Holy Spirit falls on them. And then we have in this particular passage, because of that, they were hearing them speak in tongues and exalting God, but not prophesying. Go over to, back to 19 then. And in 19, Paul lays hands on them, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them through the laying on of hands, and they begin speaking tongues and prophesying. Watch this. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Way to the right in your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1, 13. In him, Paul says, same guy, right? Same guy who just laid hands on these 12 guys. Start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Same guy writes to the church at Ephesus, which is where he is in Acts 19, in Ephesus. In him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. With the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Paul seems to say in Acts, I mean, in Ephesians 1, he's speaking now to the church at Ephesus, not just to these 12 guys. When you became a believer, you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. But guess who wasn't there for every account? Paul. And guess what he wasn't doing? Laying hands on people. And so guys, before we before we make any just um, line in the sand decisions about what I believe and what you should believe because I believe it or my church believes it or my denomination believes it. It's really, really healthy to do things like this. Which is, God, what do you say about this? Um, in industry terms, we would call that doing a systematic theology of a particular doctrine. And in this case, it would be the doctrine of baptism. You could do a doctrine of pneumatology or a doctrine of study of the Holy Spirit. And, and time just doesn't allow for us to do that tonight. My point tonight is just simply this. Before you land on something that you believe is prescriptive... Just do a, a, a big study, Genesis to Revelation kind of a study, and ask God along the way, <clears throat> like in this case, God, should I be speaking in tongues? Should I be prophesying? Hey, listen, guys. If I could speak in tongues, that'd be absolutely cool. I think that would be refreshing. 
I love, it took me, I don't know, probably 15 years into my walk with God before I would even raise my hands. Now I love raising my hands. If I could even do something more than that, which is speak in some heavenly language, man, I'd be all for that. And if you can do it, I'm just suggesting that I'm not sure you can turn to Acts 19 and say, this is why I do it. Because I was at ABC Church down the road and my pastor laid hands on me and I received the Holy Spirit just like these guys did in Acts 19. So if it were me, I'm going to land on descriptive here. Just because I don't see that as a pattern, even in the book of Acts, which is near context, right? But especially then when we get to Ephesians, where that seems to be more normative. That seems to be more prescriptive by way of here's what happened to you and, and not just you, but all believers. So this is why I can confidently say things like, I believe we were all, if you're a believer here tonight, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. Any thoughts or questions about that before I want to move on to something else here? Pretty cool. But it's fascinating that he does this. Oh, so I was going to tell you, why did he do it? That's, you know, if, it, if it's just kind of this transition book, Greg, then why do I need to know about it? Because think about this, guys. Again, how does, if we look at the book of Acts, how does God often introduce his message when he uses guys like Peter and Paul? What's his methodology? What was, as we looked in, and I could give you passages here, if you look in, uh, if you look in Acts 2, 43, Acts 4, 30, Acts 5, 12, Acts 6, 8, Acts 8, 6, Acts 8, 13, Acts 14, 3, Acts 15, 12. In every one of those passages, what you will find is what we call a miracle. Something supernatural. And I would consider this a miracle. You're a regular guy and you're going to see another regular guy. Another, you're a regular girl going to see another regular girl. You're a human, you're going to see another human. You lay your hands on them and something happens to them that changes them. That's a miracle. Paul lays his hands on these guys all 12 of them, and instantly they start prophesying and speaking in tongues. They couldn't do it before. That's a miracle. And in all those passages I just referenced, those are miracles taking place in the book of Acts. Now, the question I'm asking, I guess, tonight is, why did God, why, why the miracles? What was the point of the miracles? Any thoughts? Why, why did God use miracles in the book of Acts? Because he could? <laughs> what do you think? Why would he do that? What do miracles do? You're walking down the street, you got something else on your mind, and you see a dead person come to life. What are you going to do? You're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to run. I, you, hopefully, eventually, you'll do that, but what's the first thing you're going to do? Especially if another person did it. I'm walking down the street and someone gets healed because they, they, my shadow fell on them and you're witnessing this. What are you at least going to do? If I start talking, probably going to listen. Like, I don't know what your deal is, but that was cool. And so I'm going to at least listen to what you have to say. You get someone knocking on your door trying to sell you something and they like turn to your tree out in your yard and make it grow three feet just by looking at it. You better listen to what they have to say. At least listen. God used miracles, guys, to demonstrate not only his power, 
but really to get a crowd. To, to command a crowd through human beings, his, his messengers, his tools, Peter and Paul. And guys, I'm here to tell you, he didn't do it through everyone. Um, sometimes I, I think we do a little bit of a disservice when we read passages like this, and I think, well, Paul did it so I could do it. So I'm just by faith going to trust that as I line everyone up here on this stage and I touch you, something miraculous is going to happen to you. I, I think this is more descriptive. Paul is, Paul is setting up the church at Ephesus right here. And these 12 guys, I think, are going to be pretty instrumental. So what better leaders to have than guys who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul? But I notice in his letter to the church of Ephesus, he doesn't mention this again. In fact, watch this. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. My bad. Go to Galatians chapter 5. People just got to correct me. No, it isn't. It is Ephesians chapter 5, Greg. Tell me it's not. It is. Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah. This is what he says about the Holy Spirit. He's giving them a, a, a laundry list here in chapter 5 about deeds of the flesh. and But then he gets down to verse, what, 18? And he says this, don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, that's senseless waste. But he says what? Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. See, what Paul says to the church at large, not, listen, these 12 guys were doing some pretty amazing things, and that's great for them. But guys, I think a lot of us, we're just, we're, we're the church at large here. Yes, I've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and I'm so glad for them. But Paul says to all of us who are believers, don't be filled, don't get drunk with wine for that dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I find that interesting that if he was so hung up on prophesying and speaking in tongues and, and doing instant healings, why wouldn't he have mentioned that here? But rather he tells the church, listen, don't get drunk with wine, don't be, don't be controlled by the substance, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit, guys, is basically, and, and this is what I meant, I, I thought in my mind about the Galatians passage, to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to get up every day knowing that the Holy Spirit is with me. I think that's what Paul's message is. Sometimes I think when we read Acts, passages like Acts 19, we get hung up on, that's what I want. But I think that was a little bit more descriptive because there was a purpose behind it, which was, I need to get this church started. And I'm going to do some pretty cool things. This is God speaking, not Paul. I'm going to do some pretty cool things. And I'm going to use this guy named Paul to do it. Watch it. And, and this is my point. I want to get to this tonight. We'll, we'll just keep going here. Watch this. Uh, jump down to 11. because Let me continue this thought. And we'll go back up to 8. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Really? We just saw one. So that, listen to this, the handkerchiefs, this was, um, he was a sweat rag, basically. 
Paul must have sweat a lot when he preached. I don't know. Handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Guys, this is, a, this is descriptive here, in my opinion. This is God doing some amazing things through this guy where even his handkerchiefs or the, 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 the sides of his clothes, if they, were get, if they were carried from his body to the sick, the diseases left them. Your, your husband or wife is sick, and well, what do you got here? I have, I have Paul's handkerchief. Here, touch it. Boom, heal. You're gone. Heal. You're gone. That's a miracle. Phenomenal miracles are taking place. The question is, is did Paul exist? Did Peter exist for the miracles? Because sometimes I think I'm flipping through the channels. I see this and this. And, and honestly, I you know, more prevalent, I think, in like the 80s and 90s. Those of us who kind of saw some religious TV back in the 80s and 90s, much more prevalent then. I'm not seeing too much of it now, maybe because there's so, it's just, we're, we're done with it. I don't know. But that seemed to be the, the main event was the miracle. And guys, throughout the Bible, the main event is the message. In these programs, what, what gets all people hyped up isn't hearing the message, which to me is sad. It's seeing the miracle that people get all flipped out about. And it's actually the believers who are getting flipped out in, in these programs I've seen. It's the believers that are hooting and hollering and then all of a sudden they're in their heavenly language and whatnot. And the non-believers are over here kind of looking in thinking, this is weird. And the believers are, are quoting passages like this or they're going back to Acts chapter 2 saying, well, that's how God started it. And so that's what we're doing today. And I'm just wondering. Because the way I read this and the way that, that I think that speaking in tongues, especially when you look at the, the, the purpose out of 1 Corinthians and in Acts 2, and Acts, I think it was to show, the, uh, to demonstrate to unbelievers the power of God. And so I got to wonder if I'm doing something that I think is right, but the unbeliever looks at it and thinks, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not saying like it's not, like, I don't get it. I'm just saying it, it like, that's weird. I wonder if I'm even doing it right at that point. I've talked to several people and I don't have a background that lends itself to um, the sign gifts. And, and so, and if that's your background, that's, that's great. Um, but the people I've talked to, it's been interesting because the, the conversation typically goes like, the, I do it for myself. Like it's a, it's a prayer language or a heavenly language or I do it because I like to do it. And guys, I'm hard pressed to find that in here. But rather what I find is, especially like you look at Acts chapter 2, the reason they spoke in tongues there, it was, they, those were actually known languages. They're speaking, instantly speaking other languages. Apples to apples would be holy, room shakes, Holy Spirit shows up and we all start speaking other known languages and a tour bus drives by from that country and these people come in and they say, how did you know that's our language? That would be apples for apples. But the people I've discussed this with, it's more of a, no, I'm just a believer and I just start speaking these heavenly languages to God and really I don't care who's around. But as I see in Acts 2, you have in Acts chapter 10, uh, and then here in Acts 19, 
By the way, this is probably the last instance of the use of tongues. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul even says this, do we all speak with tongues? And the way that the Greek is constructed in Acts chapter, or 1 Corinthians 12, the answer is included in the question, which is no. Same guy who laid hands on these guys. Okay, prescriptive versus descriptive. Food for thought anyway. Um, I, I, okay, I, I say that because I want to get to this. We do a lot of studying here and we do a lot of talking and a lot of academic stuff and God has good knowledge and whatnot. But guys, I would be sad if we all left here week after week after week and we didn't recognize or accept the fact that this, what we're doing here is spiritual. That what we're doing here, every empty seat here could be filled with an angel tonight. That there is a dimension that most of us can't see and we're not aware of and won't, won't appreciate fully till we die and, and see Jesus face to face. But that dimension is as real as you and I are sitting here today. And that dimension consists of angels and demons. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the knowledge side of things. Prescriptive, descriptive and miracles, what are they all for and... That we lose fact that there is a battle going on all the time, right here, right now. And if you know Jesus, you're in the game. In fact, if you don't know Jesus, you're in the game. Paul says, or Luke says in Acts, after Paul does these miracles, watch this, verse 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went, and these were Jewish magicians. We've, we've seen this two or three times elsewhere in the book of Acts. Who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. Saying, I jure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. See, what's happening is miracles are taking place. And Paul is just doing them to get to the message. He doesn't care about the miracles. But those who don't know Jesus, guys, they're so hung up on the act itself because it's so cool that they want to clone it. They want to copy it. They want to mimic it. And so you have some Jewish exorcists that see Paul's handkerchief. They see the laying on of hands. They see an evil spirit come out because his, his coat fell on someone and they want to do the same. So they say in verse uh, 13, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And one of the seven sons of Sceva a Jewish priest, chief priest, was doing this. Seven sons of this Jewish chief priest are doing this. They're following Paul around and they're like trying to get in on the act. Paul's like ahead of them and they're kind of like cleaning up after him. What he said, good, healed. What he said, you know, you come out, you know, and they're just doing their thing with him. His is authentic though. But watch this. This is what amazes me. Verse four, uh, 15. And the evil spirit answered and said to one of them, Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's not, listen, you don't want to be on the receiving end of this conversation. He says this to them. This guy, Paul is, you know, he's trying to get to the message, but his healing stuff is taking place. Evil spirits are being cast out of people. And one guy has an evil spirit in him. And one of the seven sons or all the seven sons approach this guy. And the guy stops them. 
And this is what he says. He says, I recognize Jesus. Now, the word there, in case you're interested, is gnosko. And that means um, I've interacted or experienced this guy. I know Jesus. Um, I know my dad. I know my uncle. I know my wife. I know Jesus. Okay, that's what he says about Jesus. The evil spirit says that about Jesus. Listen, I know Jesus. Then he says, and I know Paul. Now, the word there in the Greek is, is episteme, different word. I know Jesus, gnosko. I know Paul, episteme. And the word there means, um, I, I know about this person. I understand this person. Again, Paul's, you know, relatively new on the scene. I know Jesus, the king of kings, my arch enemy. I know that guy. This new guy, Paul, I understand him. He's the real deal. Watch this. Oh my goodness. The last four words of verse 15. You're the seven sons and you've got an evil spirit staring you in the face. And the evil spirit says, but who are you? I, I teach over Valley Christian. Caught two kids uh, plagiarizing this week. Two of my students. I ask them to meet with me. They have no idea why. I say, hey, let's go to the staff lounge. They show up. And it was the first hour of the day. They're happy. You know, and it was Monday. It was the day after spring break. They just had a great break. They show up and they sit down. And I take out both of their papers. And I said, in essence, who are you? And they knew right then when I said that, they, they knew it was up. They knew, they, knew, they knew what I knew now, right? We all in the room, I didn't say it. I just said, what is this? And all three of us knew what I meant by that, which is you're dead to rights. And they got options at this point, right? They can lie, they can cheat, but I've got the smoking gun right here. I've done that about 10 times in my history at Valley, and, and i got to be honest with you, I kind of enjoy it. Uh, you know, in, in a weird way, maybe I'm sick, but I kind of enjoy it. Because, guys, not too often in life do we have concrete evidence, right? It's not too often. It's always, well, he said or she said or, you know. But when you lay it out and you say, this is it, now go. Start talking. In that moment, there's something inside of me that just, I'm just, I may be curious, but I just wonder, what's your move now? What are you doing now? What are you going to go with? Because I got, this is my evidence. And I said, what is this? And thankfully, I guess, right? Praise God, they both just, they just collapsed. They just confessed. It actually wasn't even that fun. This evil spirit looks at the, these seven sons. He says, I know Jesus. You know what this guy's all about. I understand what this guy's doing. I know Paul. Who are you? You fraud. You fake. The, the, the jig's up. Watch this. And, and I can imagine Paul's like doing his thing, you know, and he's trying to get through his message, doing his thing. And he looks back and he sees this. And, and I don't know. I mean, we have in other passages in scripture that when you get demon possessed, when there's an evil spirit in you, your physical dimensions change. So I got to imagine this is no different. Guy, probably a deep guttural voice. 
strong, and we know that um, from the, uh, the legion, right? The naked legion, when Jesus approaches them. This guy's busting chains. They can't even, the community can't even hold this guy together. One guy is breaking chains. This evil spirit says, I know, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil was the evil spirit leaped on them. He subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. One guy versus seven and he destroys them. Be Paul here. Just, you know, what do you, like, like Paul's saying to these seven guys, what do you want me to do? I'm the real deal here. This is real. This is authentic. But guys, I'm here to tell you, if you're faking it, you're in danger. If you're faking Christianity, if you're faking any of the sign gifts, if you're just faking it, you're not fooling anyone. Save the, 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 the blind anyway. You may put on a good show, guys, and, and maybe you do kind of command an audience because of your personality or, or the way you... D- These people, they were seven sons of the Jewish high priest. They had power, they had position... They just didn't know the real Jesus. They pretended they were posers. And in their case, they got called out by a demon. Guys, lest us, lest we think that we're not dealing with spiritual dimensions, boy, Satan, I think, has us right where he wants us when we start to get lax with that. When we start to think this is all there is. Gain some knowledge, leave, go home, pack it away, wake up on Sunday, do it again, wake Tuesday night, do it again, then go home, do it. This is spiritual what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're going up against powerful, powerful beings. But the thing we've got going for us is Jesus Christ. The, 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 the champion we have in our corner is the one who defeats the beast. And he has defeated him already. That's who's in our corner. These seven sons, they've got no one in their corner. And the evil spirit knows that. And this, listen to this. And this became known, this instance became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus' name was being magnified. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that amazing that, Christian revolutions often begin through spiritual warfare. That what happens here, watch this. Many of those who, many also, verse 18, who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which back then was equivalent probably to 200 people's wages for a year. They gave up voluntarily... A couple hundred people's wages for a year in the form of burning books and magic and sorcery type stuff and witchcraft burned it all. Why? Because these guys thought they could fake it. They got called out. They got beat up, run out naked, and fear falls upon the church. 
And guys, there's something healthy when the church recognizes we are in battle. That people all of a sudden start to shed their pride and they shed their their false uh, thinking that they're better than they are. And they just start to come clean with each other. For some reason, I don't know, long gone, aren't they? Long gone are the days where churches just stop for a moment and just say, walk the aisle. If if you're serious about Jesus tonight, own it in front of everybody. Own it. Walk the aisle. Let's, Let's be real tonight. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me now. He says to the guy, I got to go bury my father. He says, let the dead bury their own bed. You dead bury their own bed. Dead, you follow me tonight. Today, what do we have? With every eye closed and every head bowed, listen, we don't want to embarrass you or anything. So if you just want to slip up your hand, if, if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus tonight, you know, just every, everyone just stare at the ground right now because I don't want to embarrass anyone. So you just, you just slip your, I, I see you slip, thank you. Put your hand down quick. Put it down. Somebody just, uh, well, we had to do it again because somebody looked, okay? Everyone again, put your, you know. These people saw what happened. They said, that's it, man. We're done. Honey, go get the books. Go get them. Go, get under the bed. I see some hiding under there. Get the magic eight balls. Get the Ouija boards. Come on, we're going. And in our case, what, what, what would our culture, what would this be consistent of with our culture probably? Get the TVs, right? Get the Blu-rays. Bring them out here. Because we're, we're engaged in things that are ungodly and we know it. And finally, I got to imagine some of these people here in Acts 19 verses 17 through 18, I got to imagine this was the best day of their life. I got to imagine they, they came to the pile, the pile of books and whatever else was in there with this unbelievable weight. They just wanted to lift off of themselves and throw it onto the pile and say, finally, I can be free of this. Praise God I can do that. And they watch their money just go up in smoke. All their possessions that were so ungodly just torch them all. 200 people's wages for a year are burning right now. That is spiritual revolution. And it happens because you got some posers that are being called out. And all of a sudden now the whole church is being called out. I wonder, I wonder. I wonder, I wonder what verse 20 looks like for us today. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. How does the word grow mightily and prevail today? Two, two thoughts here. Um, I think it begins individually. And if you're part of a family tonight, and if I could even speak to the men here tonight, I think it begins with you. I think it begins with you demonstrating to your spouse and your kids or your friends or whatever your status is right now, men. I'm about Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm not about these things. But it's not, I'm not just telling you that. I need to show you that wife, kid, family member, brother, friend, coworker. And, and, and I don't mean like I'm just going to ease into this, but I need to radically show you that. Um, 
downsizing. Like, I mean, our house. Um, we don't need seven TVs. We really don't. Um, we're, we're going to be vulnerable with our financial portfolio in front of our family members by way of, I want my kids to know where my money goes. To everyone in the room. What does it look like in your life that the word was growing, the word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing? See, see, spiritual revolution happens, gang, when you own it. Not when Cornerstone owns it, but when you own it. Because then what happens is, I don't care if anyone else is putting their books in the pile, mine is going in the pile. And if mine are the only books in the pile, then mine, then that's my pile. But what happens in the Christian world, I really think, I think what happens by God's design is I'm affected by that in a good way. Bob put his books in the pile and Bob's no better than me. So my books are going in the pile. And Sally threw her books in the pile and she's no better than me. And there's no reason why I can't do it. And then all of a sudden it's infectious. And then all of a sudden you have the positive, what I call a positive riot where things are happening that are supernatural. And we, don't even, we can't even explain it. There have been probably a half a dozen times in my life where this has happened, where the supernatural has happened in such a way that I'm glad I was there. I just couldn't, I couldn't replicate it, couldn't duplicate it, can't even explain it, but I was glad I'm there. It's, 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 a, it's a Christian riot. It, it's, it's something that, you, it's contagious. Like when the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts. Like when Paul laid hands on these 12 guys. It's the same thing, but now it's, it's big. Now it's big. The whole church was in fear because they realized something that I think we need to realize, which is we are in a spiritual battle. And if this is holding me back, God, then let me get rid of it now, right now, tonight. I'll walk the aisle tonight. And, and, and guys, honestly, the reason I don't think we do it anymore is because if any one of us did it, no one else would do it. And all of a sudden now we're the lone person out on a limb tonight. The reason that this is spectacular is because of verse 19 and many of those who practiced. Enough where they've got a mountain of books. And do you notice how Paul doesn't like glorify that or he doesn't like he's not wowed by that? Nothing in here that Luke writes is says that and Paul was just like in awe of that. Almost like Paul was saying, what took you so long? <laughs> Christian. Um, I want to get to the negative side of rioting. Um, the act that happened in, with Demetrius in the temple here. Uh, I can't, we're out of time. But, but can I challenge you to do this? It goes both ways. Because when you start doing this, guys, when you start doing revolutionary style living for Christ, people aren't going to like it. And you're going to have a guy or girl named Demetrius in your life real quickly when you start living for Jesus radically. And they're going to push you and press you and prod you every step of the way. It's going to come. So lest you think that just walking an aisle in front of believers is going to be safe and we're all going to cheer you on, we all have to leave tonight. And that's where the action is, right? 
And you're going to have people out there when they know, here I am, fully in love with Jesus Christ, they're not going to like that. Be prepared for that. That's why Paul talks about this spiritual battle we're in and putting on the spiritual armor of God. Okay? Um, I, I, I do want you to, if you get a chance, read the rest of Acts 19 because it's fascinating what happens when people are against Christians, how, how as much as we can get radical, they can get radical. Um, and so if you get a chance, read the rest of Acts 19, and then we'll pick it up in Acts 20, uh, two weeks from tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. And God, um, I, I pray so, I pray for me, God. I pray for the people in this room that if there are hindrances in our lives, I would assume, God, for a lot of us, witchcraft isn't it. I have to assume for a lot of us, sorcery isn't our hindrance. But man, I've got a lot of idols in my life, Father. And so, God, I would pray that you would allow us to rid ourselves of those. And may we do so in a way that we're not seeking fame or we're not seeking uh, publicity from it. We're just seeking to glorify you. Because, God, I'm convinced that we need another revolution here in this church, in Chandler, in the valley, across America. We need Christians to rise up. And the message needs to be, I'm in love with Jesus Christ. And because of that, I don't do or I don't follow or I don't participate and then let us, Holy Spirit, fill in those blanks in, in, the, in the areas that we're struggling with as individuals. When we do that, man, I, I want to be around because it's an exciting time. Thanks so much, God, for these guys taking their time out of a Tuesday night, spring break. I, pr I pray that your word was, was honored tonight. I, pr I pray that you would continue to minister to each one of us as we leave this building and go do the work of the Lord. Keep us safe, Father, till next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you in two. All right.